few weeks ago, the feds announced that they would provide $2 billion to the provinces to deal with pandemic recovery. And uh, the budget did contain a dental care program and some new money for mental health. But the budget does not project any major new increases to the Canada health transfer uh, to the provinces and territories. Dr. Adam Chasm is president of the Ontario Medical Association. He joins the show. Doc, I heard you yesterday on with Rubina Ahmed Hawk. It was her first time hosting. I think she did an amazing job. She's filling in again today for Jeff MacArthur. But um, that was pre-budget. And here we are this morning. I just want to ask you off the hop here. I know you were hoping the feds would announce that they'd increase the health transfers to about 35%. They're only increasing them by 5%. Does that get us where you need them to be? Where would they be at? I don't think so, Kelly. Uh, and, and good to be with you. And Rubina did a great job yesterday. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that this wasn't a healthcare-focused budget. And, and I appreciate that governments have to make choices. And when you consider factors like inflation and defense and gas prices and others, there are a number of priorities. But fundamentally in this budget, which actually does indicate an increase in 4.8% of Canada health transfers in the 22-23 fiscal it's clear that this falls well short of what we and others, including all the premiers at the last Council of First Ministers, for example, were asking for. What we were asking for, Kelly, was an increase to a floor of 35%. And what we get here in this budget is close to a 10% shortfall in gap. Right. So you mentioned yesterday that an investment in health care is important so that we can have economic recovery. Can you communicate how the two are connected? Because this is going to fall short. Absolutely, Kelly. We can't have an economic recovery without a healthcare recovery. And so if we have people who are either sick or waiting to get treatment and are therefore unable to work and, and you know, have uh, production within our economy, uh, that's going to stall our economic growth. And there have been commentators and economists who look at this budget who say this is not really a growth-based budget either. And so there are concerns not only from the economists, but even healthcare experts, physicians, and other workers to suggest that uh, when we need to shore up our healthcare system after a pandemic and for the future of healthcare in this country, we're not necessarily getting that with this budget. Okay, so how many people are sick and waiting for some sort of treatment? How big is that backlog? So in Ontario, Kelly, 21 million people are waiting for some type of medical service. So when we think of preventative care, primary care, mental health care, we also, of course, often think about procedures and surgeries that folks are waiting for. But it also includes things like diagnostics, such as mammograms and colonoscopies. Now, this has grown as a result of COVID-19 through the mm -hmm. many of the shutdowns of the healthcare system that we've had to go through. But it's a, it's a large number. It's a top priority for the profession. It's a top priority for patients. I would say the 21 million people is light based on the fact that I haven't seen a doctor and I've got tests that I should be uh, getting done and I'm not even in the queue yet. And that's, you know, I'm not the only one that I know that has not been to the doctor, not been checking up on themselves over the two years. So we could be looking at potentially way more than 21 million people here. Absolutely. You know, Kelly, get to a doctor, make sure you're getting your care and, and, and folks out there who are listening, make sure that you're seeking uh, help and, and advice from, from your healthcare professional. Um, but you're absolutely right. We, we don't want smaller problems becoming larger problems. Those larger problems are often harder to treat. They have worse outcomes and they're also more, more costly for the system. And so when we think about upstream and making sure that we're preventing uh, disease or at least trying to mitigate it at an early level and stage, um, that's what we, we want to focus on in addition to getting people the care that they need at the time that they need it. Okay, so you didn't get the money in the budget that you hoped for that would help out uh, keep, you know, this healthcare system, keep it uh, healthy. We know that it's it's sickly right now. 
Um, you wanted, uh, mental health and addictions funding. You wanted focus on long-term care, uh, home care and community-based care. You mentioned that 75% of care delivered daily happens outside the walls of the hospital. Pandemic p- preparedness is something you thought we needed to fund. And so was digital infrastructure for the f- uh, future of healthcare. In your opinion, what can we put on hold out of these four, uh, commitments here that we need to fulfill? Gosh, none of them, Kelly. Um, well, we I have to pick one because we, we're budgeting here and the budget doesn't have any money for it. Yeah, so I think that this is a conversation that now, unfortunately, is downloaded to provinces who have to make tough decisions. And when you think about provinces being in a straitjacket as a result of finances, uh, decisions have to be made. And I think right now, uh, the backlog of care uh, is probably the top concern and priority of the profession. Now, uh, we know that this is related to things like the pandemic. We, it's related to mental health and, and addiction services because people may not be able to seek care and therefore have that uh, backlog grow. And so right now, in the hospitals that I work at and the clinics that I work at, I also work in long-term care, Kelly, across the province, and we're seeing some of these advanced stages of disease really challenge our ability not only deliver care effectively, but unfortunately also leads to patients having to suffer for prolonged periods of time. So I would say that the backlog right now is chief priority number one. And to the Fed's uh, credit, they have initiated um, a flow through of, I think, $2 billion. This was, this was Minister DeClos a couple of weeks ago d- describing this announcement. Um, but that sort of rolled into this, uh, this budget. And so uh, we're welcome. that's welcome news, but there's a lot more to be done. Yeah. Um, burnout's a big deal. You said yesterday we need a national health human resources strategy. We didn't get any money from the the feds on that in this budget. How do we best deal with burnout? Because we've got doctors, we've got nurses, we've got uh, clinicians that are burning out during this pandemic. I mean, everybody's exhausted, but these people have worked nonstop. Kelly, three quarters of physicians that we polled in our membership, and that's 43,000 physicians across Ontario, reported some level of burnout in the past year. Uh, And we see attrition in the profession, people leaving, uh, people scaling back, people retiring early. Uh, This is not a good situation when we consider that our needs as a healthcare system continue to grow, whether it's because of more people or an aging population. And so we need to shore up what we have now. Fund and, and support those uh, those folks in our healthcare system to stay and continue doing the work that they need to be able to do. But then also developing both a domestic and an international health human resource strategy. And this is where governments can actually play a role. So obviously the expansion of medical school and residency spots by Premier Ford uh, and his government were welcome news. But also when we think about it, uh, an immigration strategy that has to be tied with, I believe, um, a need in, in our health resource strategy uh, that that actually could actually make a dent the future. And it's something where I think levels of government could collaborate upon uh, to see some progress. Dr. Kazim, before I let you go, I want to talk about uh, the fact that the Liberals provincially are now uh, calling on the um, government to bring in a masking mandate. How important do you think it is that we look at a masking mandate again and, you know, flirt with that idea now that we hear that numbers are going up as far as uh, daily cases of COVID-19? I Kelly, I think that masks are a very good thing to be able to do uh, for folks uh, indoors where there's no distancing, when there's no masking, uh, sorry, when there's no, uh, you know, uh, where there are high volumes. Uh, we trust our medical officers of health, both at a, a federal, provincial, and a local level. And I know Dr. Moore and, and, and others are, are working very diligently to ensure that we are uh, continuing to manage this pandemic and hopefully get to uh, an endemic stage uh, of this disease pattern. 
but masking helps, and so do uh, boosters and third and fourth doses for those eligible. And so what we're encouraging folks to do is getting those vaccines. It's, a, it's our best protection against COVID-19. We're going to continue to advocate for that, and, and masking where appropriate is, 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 is very helpful. I continue mm-hmm. to mask in places where uh, it's hard to distance and where there, there are high volumes of people indoors. All right. You know, I'm going to call you on this because it's not my first uh, rodeo. So you didn't answer the question. Do you think we need a masking mandate brought back? I think masking mandates, once again, Kelly, are the purview of decisions made at tables where all of the data and information is available in real time. I don't have access to all of the numbers and all of the trends that that folks who are making decisions have. And so um, right now I'm going to be deferring to the expertise (laughs) of public health officials, including Dr. Moore and others. Touche. Touche. You're very uh, diplomatic. Uh, you're, you're leaving it up to the chief medical officer of health. I hope that he communicates with us very soon because he hasn't yet and he hasn't even declared a sixth wave. But Dr. Kazim, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on in the show. And I'm, I am sorry that uh, the money wasn't there in the federal government for the, uh, the medical system. Well, we're going to continue to shake some trees, uh, Kelly, and uh, thanks for having me on. All right. Cheers. Dr. Adam Kazim is president of the Ontario Medical Association.